We're here in Independence, Kansas at the Independence Public Library with MC Lars uh, and indie hip hop artist. And I don't know exactly what that means and I'm gonna ask you about that. Um, he's done a workshop this morning at Independence High School and will be doing a program tonight uh, at the Performing, Performing Arts Center at the high school as well. So my first question is, is MC Large your real name, or what is your real name, and what does MC Large stand for? Yeah, uh, my real name is Andrew Nielsen, and MC Large uh, is a stage name. So MC is a hip hop term that means master of ceremonies. It goes back to like 70s New York hip hop culture. And Lars was a funny nickname I had as a kid, because my family has Danish and Swedish roots. Okay. So Lars was just like a nickname I had. All right. Yeah. How old are you? 32. 32, what's your birthday? October 6, 1982. That's great. Yeah. Uh, where were you born? I was born in Berkeley, California. Awesome. Yeah. No wonder. <laughs> okay. Um, tell me about your family. Um, my dad was born in Australia, and his dad was a World War II pilot for the RAF, and um, so he, they moved to America, between America and Australia through his childhood and high school, and then he met my mom in college, um, and then he, be, he moved to America, and then uh, he, he got his citizenship. And my mom is a librarian in Monterey, and they are, my dad's 70, I think my mom's like 68, 67, and they're great, yeah. 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 Sounds like you have brothers or sisters? I have an older sister who works with special education kids tutoring. She's a tutor, yeah. I see the connection. <laughs> yeah. Great. Tell me, tell me about uh, yourself growing up. What's your earliest memory as a child? Wow. Well, um, we grew up, it's interesting, it was interesting walking around with Brandon because this, this town, Independence, reminds me of, I grew up in a little town in the Oakland Hills, a neighborhood called Montclair. It had a village, Montclair Village, that was very much like the similar small department stores and everything's the local businesses, you know. And it's definitely changed since I've been, since I grew up. But I think my earliest memories were probably playing in the park there, around the pond and stuff like that, playing with the ducks. Cool. Yeah. And uh, school? Uh, yeah, school was always good. I, I, when I was, when we were 10, when I was 10, my dad got a new job, so we moved from Oakland to Monterey, which is south, and I went to a Catholic school for a year, and that was a big shift because I realized the difference between a creative education and a very strict, horrible, like, teachers who didn't really care about the kids versus the, the open-minded Bay Area culture. And I think maybe that's why I got so into education because I, you want, I, I realized what it's like for teachers who care versus teachers who are just punching the clock. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so then I went, I did my undergraduate at Stanford and I did my BA in literature. And I started doing music because I did a term in Oxford when I was 20 and I was met a bunch of punk bands and indie bands in England in 2003 and let them and I convinced them to let me open for them, doing my rap with my laptop. And then that led to, since college, just being able to do music as a profession. And the teaching stuff is kind of more of a side thing, but I, it's much more satisfying than playing, like, playing club shows for drunk people. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So, wow. 
Yeah. So you said you had been um, to London and San Francisco before you came here this <laughs> week. So you have a busy life <laughs> you're doing now? Yeah, I like it. It's, it's, I find that it keeps me interested. And I'm so thankful that people want to hear what I have to say. And um, yeah, I did a UK tour and then I, I live in San, near San Francisco now. So I was, had a day in the studio Tuesday and came out. But those are both very different cities. London and San Francisco are very beautiful, different cities. I did a workshop when I was in Manchester in England. And it's so interesting how the smallness of England, the streets, the smallness, the, population, you know, then coming here in the openness of Kansas. And you can see the, the big juxtaposition of the differences. But what's fascinating is also how the t teaching hip hop culture and literary culture is in both markets. Kids are responsive and very, very smart and very interested. But they're both places that are so far away from the cultural origins of hip hop, which is the black New York culture of the, of the early 70s. It's, hip hop is spread, and I like that. That makes me feel happy. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna be ignorant here. Yeah. Um, I don't know what hip hop is. I don't um, know the history, the background, what what that means. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So in the '70s, the Jamaican um, DJ named Cool Herc, 1973, he came to the Bronx, and he realized that he brought all his sound equipment from Jamaica, and he realized if you take two vinyl records. This, like a James Brown record, there's a part in the song where if the drums, if the music comes out and it's just the drums, that's the breakbeat, right? And so he realized, okay, there's a famous record called The Funky Drummer. So he'd take the two records and play them back to back on the two turntables, but do it in such a way where he'd cue them so it would be a seamless. The break would just go on for hours. So they would, people would, over this, they'd have these parties in the, in the basements of the, of the projects there and people would break dance and then they do their rhythmic rapping, their talking, and that was the birth of rap and break dancing and DJing and uh, street art, which all come from hip hop, which is that New York culture from the 70s. Mm -hmm. And then it spread around the world, but it started there. So yeah, so you probably, so do you probably know like some rappers, right? You've heard like Eminem, I'm yes. sure. Yeah, so yeah. He's, he'd be a modern hip hop artist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Educational. Uh -huh. And what got you excited about hip hop? I, um, what, what actually, what got me into it was I had a, a in, when I was a sophomore, we had an assignment to make fun of Macbeth, right? And so I was intrigued that the rhymes that the witches in Macbeth use, a double, double, toil and trouble, fits that, fit that trochaic tetrameter, which was rap. And so poetry got me into it. And I realized, I remember studying Beowulf and being like, oh, this is just gangster rap. The violent, the violent rhymes. So it was. I was always a writer, and I always played guitar in punk bands and stuff. And rap was such a cultural, or hip hop was such a cultural, um, so distant. But that's kind of what made it fun. I could express myself in a, in a new, exciting way. <laughs> and so the kids today would re relate to that well. I think so. Yeah, because they because hip hop is really a dominant musical force. Hip hop, rock. Country and electronic music are like the four genres now, that the four most popular genres, I would imagine. Okay. So the kids get it. Yeah. They get it. Yeah. So it, that becomes a, a good mechanism for communicating with kids. I learn a lot from them. And it also helps them see that like Shakespeare and Edgar Allan Poe are very interesting because they're really just rappers. 
you know? Which I would never have thought that. Yeah. And I've had more children, more kids excited about Poe than I have adults. Really? Because the adults had to read Poe when they were growing up. I had to read Poe and do reports and all of that. And I enjoyed it, but not everybody did. Uh, and they just don't want to have anything to do with it now. But yeah. the younger ones were excited. Uh, so I, I think that music has something to do with that. And do you think it's because the stories are, are relatable? Dark. They're, they're dark. They're dark. Yeah. Um, and there's a fascination with that too, I think. Because being young is hard. Uh -huh. <laughs> being yeah. high school is hard. They were talking about Romeo and Juliet in, the lecture, in my class and how they were so annoyed at them. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, you guys can understand because you're the same age as they're supposed to be. Uh -huh. So you understand what that's like, <laughs> the pain of love. Who were your, um, did you have idols growing up? Your favorite musicians, um, <laughs> that kind of thing? Yeah, my, you know, my favorite musician, the guy who got me into it, wanting to make music, is this, um, this L.A. artist named Al Yankovic, who did parodies. Weird Al. Yeah. Yeah? Weird Al, yeah. He was always such an inspiration to me. And in 2006, I did an interview on MTV, and I talked about how much I loved him. And he saw it, and he reached out to me. And he said, thanks for saying that. And I ended up working with him. And he sends me a Christmas card every year and stuff. <laughs> so that was cool, to be able to meet my idol, and, and that he was so nice to me, and that he respected what I was doing. Like that, yeah, so he, you know what I loved about him was he's so topical, because he'll do every genre that's new in a smart way. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a good guy. A good, good, good moral guy who's not like doesn't seem like he's an ego. I think that's very important. It's very, like you can. I mean, he's someone who's probably, you know, he's he has the right to have an ego, but he's so kind and sweet. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like you. So stop. Yes. Thanks. I'm serious. <laughs> thanks. Um, you've been very personable with everyone here. Oh, in thanks. A way. Thanks. And that means a lot. Oh. So. Well, I I think it's like we were talking about this earlier, but like. Anyone who's on the same, the same team I am and trying to preserve culture and light and education is like very valuable. I can relate to those people. So my, my parents like taught me that. My dad would always talk about that. Create light. It's so easy to have darkness come in and yeah. get everything. Yeah. So um, I feel a kinship with you guys here. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah, it's awesome. That's what we think we're about, <laughs> creating light and creating possibilities, changing lives. It's, and as seeing how you guys dealing with your patrons who are special requests outside of the literary requests, uh -huh. how you handle that, it's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it like growing up? How, you were 32? 32, yeah. So, you, what was it like mm -hmm. during the time you were growing up? Did you have any particular struggles or um, hmm. issues, experiences that were memorable during that time when you were younger? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, living in Oakland, I mean, one of the reasons I always wear an Oakland A's hat, mm -hmm. it, there's two reasons. The first is like it, it makes me feel connected. They're not a very good baseball team, but it makes me feel connected with my home. And when I was, you know, kindergarten through fourth grade, I had the coolest friends. 
people I think respected my ability to draw and do songs and everything. And I felt really loved. And then when I moved, when I was 11, there's that whole thing of hitting puberty and be having your body changing and not really make, having friends. And because it was like I was the new kid, which was really hard. And I feel like my whole journey through my life, through high school, music was a way for me to like get that back and feel like I could relate to people again. You know what I mean? Like, like I had people in my life who I, who I, could, who I could bond with. Um, so I always felt like I was like kind of a weird, nerdy kid and like I couldn't really relate to girls and like that was hard through high school and I couldn't, you know, I always felt like a very creative, shy person. But when I got on stage, Rap really made me feel like very fearless. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's like working at the library. Yeah. Because you're focusing on your audience and connecting with them. And you have such great material to present them. And such a great your stage is this is the podium and everything downstairs, the, the desk and everything and your posters, right? <laughs> Do you ever get nervous? No, you know, I, I no. I think as soon as I have the microphone or as soon as I'm on the stage I'm not nervous. I used to get nervous about technical stuff, like whether my computer would mess up, but I don't anymore because I know I'll, I can always fix it. Can it. I can handle it. So no, and it's funny, I remember like, there's this group from Detroit that I always, this hip hop group that I always love called the Insane Clown Posse, and they're kind of like theatrical, weird, crazy guys, but there was this image I always had in my head of them being on tour and being in their tour bus and stuff, but when they're on stage, that was when they had the, on, the only space that they needed to, for their, because they had these characters and they came out on stage in this safe place. And it's really, on stage is the only, either being in an intimate, close friendship or relationship with someone or being on stage, those are the only times I've ever really felt, uh, other than like meditation and self-reflection, the times where I feel like I have space or like I feel good, or in the studio too. You know, the creativity or feeling close to people. Like those are the two things, and it's very, it's a very profound, like disjointed thing. Because when you're on stage, there's like hundreds or even thousands of people sometimes who are watching your show. But and even though it's very public, there is an intimacy there, like that can. But being like close to one person, that can be scarier because you don't have your your costume. I feel like my hat is like Catcher in the Rye. It's like Holden Caulfield. He puts on his hunting cap backwards when he feels brave. And I feel like that's like that for me. When I take off my hat, I'm not on stage. <laughs> it's weird. But it's like a connection also to my hometown. Uh -huh. So anyway. It's it also identifies you with your hometown. Yeah. So maybe it attracts people that um, <laughs> would respond to that culture. That's a good point. San Francisco, Oakland, that whole area, um, when I was growing up, that was where the hippies lived. Haight-Ashbury. Yeah. You know, it's a very interesting area and a very open place to be. Very, um, and I think one of my favorite authors is Jack Kerouac, and it's very interesting reading his and On the Road and Big Sur and Dharma Bums, how he describes the 50s and there, in the 40s, how he has this great scene, like he has a scene where he comes through the Midwest and there's a cowboy at a diner and the cowboy's laugh is so loud and beautiful, and he's like, that's a metaphor for the American Midwest, right? The, 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 the brave, happy, 
joyful, free spirit. And then he comes to San Francisco, and there's a scene before he leaves. He's on the he's up on the Marin headlands by the Golden Gate Bridge, and he looks and he's like, "I'm at the end of the world. What do you do? Well, you go back. You go back east and and retrace your history." And I I really love reading about the Beats because they really have a very very profound connection with San Francisco and also New York. And I feel like I, I lived in New York um, a few years, like after college, and then I moved there in 2010. And that's been, uh, that's been another part of my um, journey. And I really feel connected with the Beats because that literary explosion happened both places, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. So what did you like <laughs> Um, Did you enjoy living there? Yeah, definitely. I love New York because, like this this girl I know who lives in Brooklyn, she says, only in New York can you have like a billionaire tech guy riding on the subway next to some person who's, you know, maybe homeless. Mm -hmm. That everything is, everyone can. It's like it's like the best version of the American dream because everyone has to get along because of the space, but they live in such a way they can because there's, a, it's, there's resources, it's transportation, it's modern, it's great. London is awesome and England is awesome, but it's so old school that there's so much stress from like the old infrastructure. Whereas New York is, is really works great. And it's like, I also like the inspiringness of it. You can't be depressed in New York because you go out for a walk in Central Park, there's always so, always so much joy and light everywhere. Magic moments everywhere. In the Bay Area, you're kind of, it's great. It has that too, but you're confined to your car to get around. Yes. The public spaces in New York. I love that, and I think I made, like, some of my best music I made out in um, Long Island, and I wrote when I was in Manhattan because I was just so inspired. I first went there for work when I was 20, and it was, like, so eye-opening to be, I felt like Holden Caulfield, I guess, re I reread Catcher in the Rye, when he goes to Manhattan after getting kicked out of Pensy Prep, you know? Uh -huh. I felt like that. Like I could be myself and find other people who are on a journey. Because very few people that I've met are from New York. There are, there are people from New York, but, but so many people I met are, were there visiting or for a reason. Everyone had a dream. And everyone in LA, like I've lived in LA too, people have dreams in LA, but it's a lot of like, well, I want to be an actor, but I'm waiting tables. I want to be an editor, but I'm interning for this company. I want to da da da. New York, though, I find people are more chasing their dream because it's everything's so immediate and it's so there's so much, um, I don't know, inspiration there. I miss New York. I feel like my perfect life is like bi-coastal, three, three months, maybe tri-coastal, counting England. <laughs> so it's like that's I feel happy I've been able to allow my job to do that, you know, special. But but then I know one day I want to have a family and one day I'm going to put my roots down. So don't know where that will be yet. Might be, it might be, California might not. I'm open, you know. That's to be determined. Yeah, who knows? Right now I'm just happy that people, I make music people want to hear and that I can teach and travel and who knows. I've learned, you know what, all through my 20s it was about comparing myself with all my friends and feeling I had to make everyone happy and achieve so much. And then when I hit 30, I was like, oh, I'm doing okay. I don't, I don't have to be doing that. And the stress kind of left me. It's kind of like as long as I can pay my bills and I'm a happy person and I'm there for my family and everything, like there's, I don't need to really worry about the things outside of my control. So that was a good, That's that was cool. <laughs> Thanks. Great. 
Thanks. So what's next for you? Well. Where do you want to be 10 years from now? Wow, that's a great question. I have three, well, two things, three things that I want to work on. Um, one is I do want to go back to graduate school and do a PhD, and I'd love to do a, a dissertation on how the beats paved the way with counterculture for the hip-hop culture of the 70s, mm -hmm. how they changed the social norms and the kind of Victorian, Puritan, problems with the old school America and, and shook things up so that when the rappers came on the scene, we were ready for them. Like, that's important. That's, I want to do a, I want to do a, and then. PhD in what? Probably English, English, yeah, or maybe sociology, or maybe some sort of cross-disciplinary. Probably English, because my undergrad was in that. And I always, every year, it was like, the fall would come up and I'd be studying for the GREs and be like, okay, is this year I'd go back? And every year was there would be a tour or an album or a, a, a commercial that needed music. And so I kept putting it off. And it's still a dream I want to do. So I don't know where or, what, or when I'll do it. But that's in 10 years, I hope to like have finished it or definitely, you know, I'll be an older grad student, but I'm still, still my dream. <laughs> Thanks. And what are the other two? Um, I want to have, um, I w I'm working on a puppet show with rapping puppets that teach the things in my songs for younger kids, like, like kindergarten to maybe third grade. And either if it's an internet web series or if we can get it on TV, or that's something we've been working on for years. And we have the puppet and we have scripts and that's just a matter of, after, I'm gonna put out this album and then I'm gonna spend two years doing the TV show, just working as hard as I can and figuring out how to like sustain myself while I do it and giving it every, every inch of my spirit. So that, and then I wanna have, when I, when I, I wanna, if and when I meet the right partner, I wanna have a family, because I've always wanted to be a dad. And I know like a lot of my friends had kids younger, but I think it'd be like, this world is so in need of goodness that I wanna pass that on and, with, a, with a kid or two. Uh -huh. So that's a dream of mine. When the time's right, but right now, I mean, I, I would be too, I want to be in a place where I can be present right. and be a good father and whatever it is I'm doing, be around. Not be on the road, like I'm literally on the road six, seven months a year. Uh -huh. And that's been fun through my 20s and in my early 30s, but not forever. <laughs> so you'll know when the time's right for them and when you're in the, in the right place. Yeah, I'll know. And I'll, I'll be like really, and I'll know that you know what, I, like, I've really, every, all of my dreams I had since I was in high school, I kind of accomplished. So, <laughs> in terms of music, I've done everything I wanted to do and worked with so many of my favorite musicians and played, I got to play Carnegie Hall before for Scholastic Awards and like all this stuff that I never, just the power of positive thought and hard work. I think that it was very like, I'm very fortunate my parents, they, made me work so hard in high school and I never got to like party. I didn't really have much of a social life, but it paid off because I busted through with strong. Uh -huh. And now I, and I know like I run my record label. It's like, you got to put in the work because no one's going to hand you anything. And I think like when I have a family, I want to be able to pass that on in a nice way and make my, have my kids know about the power of hard work. Because I think we live in a, I mean, I, I'm a, I don't want to be negative, but we live in an era where it's easy to be instantly gratified. 
and that doesn't last. And that's like the difference between a band who signs to a major label who has a big hit song and then gets forgotten versus a band that builds a fan base and really puts time and energy and creates something lasting. Like the difference between maybe the folk music movement and like some sort of like big pop movement. You know what I mean? I want to pass on those good, those good morals. So that's kind of my, so those are three projects that are going to be probably light, well, especially the family, a lifetime project, but those are the things that I think all the work I've done up until now have got me ready to do. And it's interesting coming here and working with the students this morning kind of inspired me that like, oh, this is, I'm on the right path. Like I love this teaching part and I love, I love making music, but that's not the only part of the puzzle. So, yeah. Who are some of the, you mentioned your favorite um, musicians. Yeah. Getting to play with um, some of your favorite. Who are some of your favorite musicians? Who are some of the people that you've played with or some of the uh, venues that uh, have been interesting or inspirational to you? Um, thanks. That's a good question. Um, there's a rapper from, from the Bronx named KRS-One. Who's, uh, was one of the first rappers. He's a writer and a teacher. And I got to do a, I re, he wrote a book called The Gospel of Hip Hop about spirituality and rap. And I read it, and we had the same publishing company, and I got to meet him and work with him, which was cool. And we did a song where he kind of gave me compliments, and, we talk, and I gave him a shout out. We talked about hip hop as a spiritual culture, which was cool because. That guy is, you know, he probably, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, he's like the Bob Dylan of rap music, People, like, in terms of his, how he's revered, and the fact that he, he, he thought, I don't know, it was just, that was like a dream, that he got what I was doing and that he was willing to do it. Um, there's a, another artist named Cool Keith, who I did a song with on my upcoming album, that I found he was following me on Twitter, that he knew about me, and then I reached out to him, so we did a song together. Um, so that was amazing. Like to get respect from, you know, these are both guys from the Bronx who are black hip hop artists who have seen their culture become so watered down and like okay. so taken from them. But that me as a, as a cultural, you know, tourist, one people might argue in the genre is still thinking I had the credibility to work with me because I was so passionate and so also so weird and different that they're like, oh, maybe I'll work with this guy because he's not, he's outside the norm. I, I didn't you know, rap, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know? And it's because I don't know about it that I probably stand back a ways. Yeah. I have a very eclectic collection of, of music, all kinds. Um, but that's one area where I've got a, a deficit. I'd better <laughs> be looking into that. Well, I'll, I'm going to send you guys some C, some of my CDs and stuff, and you'll hear the, that collaboration with him. Okay. And you'll hear. I mean, rap is, just, I guess it's like Gil Scott Heron, and it's just, it's like, it's, a, it's poetry. Rap is, Dylan has some sort of rap stuff, like Subterranean Homesick Blues. You know that, do you know that song? Mom's in the kitchen, cooking up the medicine. Nah, 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 nah. It's, that kind of style goes deep, you know? So, yeah, these, these guys are modern heroes. And what I, what's also interesting to me about hip-hop and rap is it's such a, you know, doing an oral history, all these guys are still alive because the culture's really only 40 years old. Six, six, 73 is when, uh, August 11th, 73, is considered the first hip-hop concert. 
So it's 40 years old. And so these guys are all alive. Some of them are in their 70s and stuff, but they're all, it's been interesting, like doing research for this book I was writing, getting to meet some of them. That would be an interesting um, history to collect. Yeah. No, it's not too late, and it's still. And I think some young kid, young students don't realize how hip hop is modern. They think it's always been around, like rock has. Right. And so it's fun to trace it for them. They see and they're oh, they've heard of some artists. Like I saw it this morning at the high school. Oh, and they had such good questions. It's so sharp. It's so interesting that like the information age has really benefited the smart kids. And it's all, I think it's really distracted the, the, the distractible kids. But, but I don't know. I really don't know how the world works now. And I think anyone who's like has negative things to say about social media doesn't really understand that times there are changing, right? So anyway. Yeah. Um, but in terms of venues I played, um, I've played, I used to play, um, I played a lot of great places in London. I played um, Alexander Palace, which is a really cool big venue, like 10,000 capacity venue in London. I did, got to do a festival there. Um, and I played, um, like I said, Carnegie Hall. And I played this festival tour called the Vans Warp Tour, which is a punk tour. Oh, yeah. That's pretty fun. That's actually how I met Brandon, because he was working for PETA one summer. And we became friends. And that's fun, because I always used to, that always had such a mythology for me. Like Eminem played it one of his first summers, and a lot of big Green Day and punk bands. and I've made friends with the guys who run it, the people who run it, and that's fun. I'm doing it again, yeah, like you saw. So that's special. Like, I never thought that, and then I have an invitation I've, to come back. This will be my third time. So, woo! I feel blessed. <laughs> yeah. You impressed me because you, you're just kind of a normal, ordinary person <laughs> that we can sit here and have a conversation. Yeah. And I don't feel uncomfortable with you. Cool. And you seem to be just really nice. Well, thank and, you. Uh, I don't well, you think too. that always happens. So uh, that's, that's impressive. Thank you. I think that I, my mom, you know what my mom always used to say? And I think this, my mom, I owe my mom so much for my, I have a song about her on my new album about how she taught me to love reading. Uh -huh. It's called Never Afraid. But she would say this thing where, you know, I, I, she'd say, when you go to a party, some people are like, I'm here, the party can start, ta-da! But she says, her way of doing it is like, I'm here at the party, what can I learn about all the people here? And I think that's the librarian in her, maybe, the researcher. Going into a place full of, <laughs> full of people and being like, oh, what's your story? And I've always had that attitude. I've always wanted to, and I've always, and you know what else I found? I'm not, like, not to, I guess, pat myself on the back, but the artists who have always had an ego or had ridiculous demands on tour and been bossy to their managers, they don't have a 10-year, they don't last. Their career is like a year or two, then they go back to what a job they don't like. I think, and I learned that in England. I really learned that in England, playing this venue called the Charlotte in Leicester, which is a small town in the Midlands. Um, they say, they, the guy, the sound guy there said to me, the same bands we see coming in, we, gone their way up, we see on their way down. You, you play the small venues, you play the big venues, then a record doesn't hit, you still want to tour, well, there's no way else to play but the small venues. So you always want to be respectful because so many people want to be musicians and so just be grateful and kind. So I appreciate you saying that. I try to have that attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
What did you think of Independence in general? Did, did you get to take the tour around town or? Yeah. The park is beautiful, and the trains, and, and that water park, and the hillside. It's very interesting. I think it's a very great small microcosm of America because you have these interesting. It's like someone should write a story about it. The, these metaphorical things of the American dream, like we birthed the monkey that we shot into space. Mickey Mantle hit a baseball into the monkey castle on the first at the first lit stadium or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. these pieces of the American dream. But the place, the, the, the zoo is named after a f former Klansman, uh -huh. right? So it's like, yeah. or someone maybe, the, the verdict's still out on that, right? Uh, probably, but everybody has their opinion about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, I guess maybe it's a microcosm of America because you have these historical things that are controversial. Mm -hmm pieces of the American uh, dream, but also the American, like, uh, I don't know, American story. story. We had um, one of the, the biggest race riot in the state of Kansas here in Independence after um, a storekeeper was killed and um, they pinned it on an African-American man. Mm. And there was a riot here, um, right what? here in Independence. It was 1925, I believe. Oh, wow. 1925. That must have been really scary. I, I imagine it was. Yeah. There were several people killed during that wow. time. And they sent um, National Guard equivalent uh, troops here to restore peace. Wow. The American Legion kicked in and helped with that before the troops got here. Um, yeah. That's not one of our prouder moments, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. At that point in time, there were um, a lot of people in, in America. The, the Ku Klux Klan was very big at, mm. at that point in time. Yeah. And a lot of people belonged to it because it was sort of a social organization as well. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of people here in Independence that had their contacts in the Ku Klux Klan. See, and that, yeah, that's just the history of it, the history we of America. We also playwright William Inge, uh, Oscar winner for um, the, this play, or for the, um, what do you call it? Mm. For uh, Splendor in the Grass. Oh, wow, I've heard of that. Yeah. Wow. For that. Um, and the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oscar winner. Uh, his father was a pastor at the church across the street. Oh, cool. Uh, Donald Burke. <laughs> so, you know, we, That's have, cool. we have all kinds of things that we're proud of here. Will Rogers was born just down towards Claremore. I didn't Oklahoma. know that. Um, yeah. Um, Alf Landon which you probably don't know Alf Landon. He was the governor of Kansas. He also ran for vice president and uh, wasn't elected. His daughter, Nancy Landon Kassbaum, was the state senator, uh, married Howard Baker, oh. who was a senator from Georgia, I think. But uh, we have our political ties, too. The state attorney general is from Independence. Um, his mother still lives here. Wow. 
we spent here in that program as well. Cool. So cool. It's an interesting place to live. Um, yeah. I'm not a native, so. What brought? Did I ask you what brought you here? Did you tell My me? My husband was born and raised here. Oh, cool. And um, we married 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. And when he took early retirement, we moved back to Independence. So, and I'm glad we did. And then we got grandchildren. We're raising two grandchildren. Whoa. Um, and one will graduate from high school this year. The other one is 12 going on. I don't know, should be 13 soon, but um, cool. boy and a girl. So we've enjoyed that. And that brought us to the library. And uh, I'm an IT person, so. This, yeah. this wasn't my my world, but when I looked back at aptitude tests from high school, that was what it said I should have been was a librarian. Wow. So, you know, it's kind of confirming that I, I love it here, but it's the people primarily. And uh, what you said about your mom, uh, about their stories, uh, mm. that's what I find fascinating. Even the person this morning that you met, uh, he has a story too and yeah that engenders patience I think uh, with everyone I really haven't met anyone here that that I just didn't like at all that's good yeah. <laughs> that's good and we have some unhappy people sometimes yeah there's usually a reason so we try and get to the bottom of that and work out a solution and they have this amazing clean beautiful well-lit place to come to that is light in their spirit, but also like literally a safe, light place to hang out, yeah. which um, that's like special. That's rare. It's important for the kids. It's also important for the seniors. And I, I have an affinity for the, the older people that come here, yeah. partly because I have gray hair and, and I'm officially a senior now. Mm -hmm. But um, so many of them have needs that, that you can help with. And sometimes it's just um, somebody to talk to. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, they are getting tablets and smartphones and computers, or their families have them, and they need to know how to learn how to use that technology. Um, they all have um, different views and something to contribute, and they're all interesting. And they have, and well, and they all have incredible stories, huh? Yes. Like do. that, why they're here. Yeah. We, yeah. We were at the drugstore that has like the the silver fountain. The uh -huh. Talking to the people there, and the lady there was from um, Louisiana. She was uh -huh. talking about how she caught a gator in in her trap, and that that was more scary than any tornado or something like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story too. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of cool because I, I like traveling because then you can you have the license to ask people. I've never been afraid to ask dumb questions uh -huh. or like naive questions because they always. It's fun to ask those questions because you catch people off guard and, and they open yeah. up. And generally, they're pretty patient with you because you're a traveler. <laughs> right. Um, they'll they'll listen to you and try and help you out. Yeah. And go bend over backwards to help <laughs> yeah. you. So, that's, that's fortunate. Great. I felt like everyone's been really really cool, but I also feel like um, I I've only met a few people and it's been brief, but everyone's been more very cordial. You yeah. know what I mean. And there's people, it's cool at the school that they support this and that it's that teamwork and that, uh, it's just really, it's, it's, it's exciting to be here and kick this program off, you know, be part of it. It makes me happy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I usually ask people at the end how they'd like to be remembered. 
someday. Oh, wow. How would you like people to remember you? I know, hopefully, that day's way far <laughs> Down off, the line. But, uh, how do you want to be remembered? I think just, I think inspiring people, inspirational. You know, I think that my story is someone who came into hip-hop culture as a true fan who wanted to make a mark, but also really respected it, and to inspire people that, and I, you know, my technical skills as a musician, um, it's more about what I have to say instead of how I say it, instead of how I said it, doing it my own way, and inspiring people who maybe felt lonely and felt disconnected and felt um, on the margins in some way, and, but found something that made them not feel like that, and because of that, would never let go of it. So I can never stop doing music. Like I imagine, I see it as like this pipe that I've built in the world where I'm constantly, it's in space, but I'm putting, constructing the pipe as I go forward. And the pipe is constructed from all like my lyric sheets or my teaching sheets, you know? So, and that, that just to be inspiring that, that that's possible. That if you believe in something, it's possible. And if you treat people kindly then it, and you try to inspire them, then it's very possible. So, yeah, <laughs> that's all I would probably say. It's, it's enlightening for me because I never would have thought about hip-hop as being inspirational. Now I want to know more about it. Mm, good. And now I'm going to find out. <laughs> good. So, yeah. That's cool. Um, and what do you want to have on your tombstone? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Probably just uh, inspired many. That's fine. Okay. MC Lar, Andrew Nielsen, inspired many. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's an okay one. Also, yeah, hopefully the hopefully the day I die is very far away <laughs> too. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, just it's an honor to be part of this oral history. I've never done anything like this, so thank you for including me. I feel I, I feel happy to leave some maybe some some stories with you. You know. So, yeah. Okay, I want to buy some hip-hop music. My last question, what should I buy to get started? Tell me how to get started finding out about hip-hop. Oh, okay. Well, what, well like, you have CDs. What should I buy? Oh, well, I'll send you my, I'll send you my CDs. I, I, have, um, I have a compilation that is it's all fan-voted favorite uh -huh. songs, so I'll send you that one. Okay. And, um, it's just greatest hits, I call it. And people on Twitter and Facebook voted for their favorite songs. So it's like, it's like 45 minutes of, it's like a 10 year retrospective. So I think you'll like that. I think um, a great artist, a New York artist is Nas. He has an album called Illmatic, which is fantastic. People consider that probably one of the best albums ever. Um, uh, I would say there's uh, Public Enemy, they're a political New York group, and they have an album called It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, which is really political, well-produced, smart record. And then KRS-One, um, there's a KRS-One album called the KRS-One Retrospective. So it's like KRS-One. So it's a backronym, stands for Knowledge Reigns Supreme over nearly everyone. KRS One, and that his name's Chris Parker, so that was his graffiti tag, KRS One. Okay. So those, yeah, those are three records that got me, that made me fall in love with hip hop. And it's funny because they're all New York artists, uh -huh. and there's other hip hop in other places, but it's kind of like, um, like, what's an example? Blues, 
the true blues comes from the delta. You know what I mean? You have to look, if you want to look at the best, you've got to look at the origins. And then you can branch out. But it's good to know about the cultural origins. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I think, yeah, those albums would inspire you. About books. Hmm. If, if, we were to, if we wanted to buy a book that or one or more books about hip hop, are there books that we can purchase and he, include in our collection? There's to a help educate? Yeah, there's that's a great question. There's a great series, it's called The Hip Hop Family Tree by Ed Piscor, P I S C O R, K O R, sorry, Ed Piscor. And it's a graphic novel series that's gotten, it was a New York Times bestseller that was gotten great, great, great response. And it's the, the Hip Hop Family Tree. There's two volumes. And each one, the first one is like, the first, like 73 to 78, and the next one's like 79 to 83. And so he's doing them in a series. Every year he comes out with a new one. And that's great because it's very well researched and the art is really, really good. Whoa. Graphic novel artist here on staff for a while. Cool. Um, yeah. That's cool. So we'll look into that one for sure. He's good. And there's other one is, um, uh, there's, well, there's a few. I would start there. There's a lot of good hip-hop books, and, um, but those are good. It's good to start with. Because kids can get into it, and kids are like, oh, they see, the, recognize the characters, you know? And it's. And it's very interesting the history because he really he really researched it really really well so it's cool. <laughs> How about for um, adults who I've read graphic novels? Yeah. Not many because I have a hard time with that presentation. Yeah. I like to read the words. Is yeah. There um, books that would appeal to older people like me that want to read a book book. Yeah. Um, there's a what's it called? Um, there's one called, there's one called Yes, Yes, Y'all, which is, I forget who it's by. And then there's a guy who, um, the, oh, the other one is called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Those are considered the two best, like, narrative, narrative histories of it. Okay. And um, one of the guys, the guy who did Can't Stop, Won't Stop, he was, a, he owned a record label and he was from Davis. And then he went on to teach hip hop history at Stanford, but he was there after I was there, so I, I I'd never met him. But he's an Asian guy who ran a label, and then yeah went into academia. And it's very interesting. Like Harvard now has a hip hop sociology program. USC Dr. Dre donated a lot of money to USC. Stanford has one now. Like it's it's interesting time because the culture has gone from the ghettos and the street to the universities. It's, it's, very, it's revered now because it's proven in this 40-year history it's not going away. And, it, and, and I also think schools like it because it kind of shows that they're progressive if they, if, but, but if they have the right staff and the right people, the right people teaching it. So it's kind of like having graphic novels and making that important in your library. That's totally. not the norm, but um, we've chosen to do that. I think that's smart. Then kid, then kid. That won't read? We'll read a graphic. They'll take a graphic novel. They may not read a book, but it's a way to trick them into reading. <laughs> yeah. Then they then they know they want to know the stories behind it. Then they'll then they'll go back and be like, oh, I remember reading that. What's this? What's the story behind that? It's kind of cool. Well, because it's like a visual culture, isn't it? And I've, when I was doing stuff at USC, and there's Professor Henry Jenkins, he talks about this idea of transmedia, where 
it's, yes, this interesting metaphor. Young, in a hunter-gatherer society, young people, would, kids would play with toy bow and arrows to like, learn how to hunt the mammoths. So in an information society, young people should play with words and pictures to create and analyze. So studying a graphic novel is like, well, we live in a more visual era. So that's like, as long as they're picking up a book, then that's a good start. You know what I mean? Like you get ready to hunt the mammoth. <laughs> Something like that. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Well, I sure appreciate your time because you look exhausted. <laughs> Thanks. And you must be really worn out after your schedule. <laughs> no, it's okay. Days, but um, I'm looking forward to the program tonight. High five. Thank you for your good questions. I'm glad to talk Thank to you. you. <laughs>